0: old school and my favorite interviews are with book authors book club with michael Smirkanish is now in session
1: we're back it's michael Smirkanish. just thrilled to be able to welcome to the program warren littlefield the former nbc president of entertainment and author of a tremendous new book it's called top of the rock inside the rise and fall of must see tv warren thank you so much for being here
2: Oh, uh, it's an honor to be talking to you today, Michael. How I, are you?
1: I, I have an idea for a show that I want to pitch to NBC. What's uh, it going to? What's it going to be about?
2: Uh, well, come on, Michael. Let me see what you got. It's about nothing. It's about nothing. Okay, I'm intrigued. Uh, well, come on. You're you, you're the
1: king of Seinfeld, my friend.
2: Oh, absolutely. You I, know, uh, those I'm, were good days.
1: I love all the back of the house. I, I'm I'm just thrilled with this book.
2: Ah, uh, thank you. It, you know. it... We had... It was a wonderful life to lead. I mean, being there at that time when television programming was all about... Well, we could go anywhere. We could do anything, and the audience was following us. Um, Thursday nights was... a success story um a third of the country would watch on thursday nights nbc one network one night for one decade it was an amazing amazing time and we let people like jerry seinfeld and larry david we turned them loose
1: one of the surprises of many in the book the test report may i read aloud
2: Oh, please.
1: Jerry Seinfeld, who was familiar to about a quarter of the viewers, created on balance lukewarm reactions among adults and teens and very low reactions among kids. His loser friend, George, was not a particularly forceful character, actually appeared somewhat more in charge, and viewers found it annoying that Jerry needed things to be explained to him. None of the supports were particularly liked, and viewers felt that Jerry needed a better backup ensemble. George was negatively viewed as a wimp who was only mildly amusing. Kessler, Kramer, had low scores, but was the best of the supports. He mildly amused some 12- to 34-year-old males and reminded some of their own weird neighbors. And then the kicker, pilot performance weak. Who were these people? (laughs)
2: well i want you to know michael i have a copy of that original test report signed by the entire cast and larry david (laughs) right next to my desk i look at it every single day
1: what do you do you go to pasadena and, and round up 20 people
2: uh you know it's it's actually worse than that yes there are there are pasadena people um but But there are test markets across the country. It's probably more like 600 to 800 people who have been asked to watch it on their televisions, in their homes, and respond. The point is, is that innovation, things that are different, don't test well. There's no marketing. There's no time. There's no nothing. It's just here and um and the initial response was absolutely disastrous and it scared us to death
1: i'm a philly guy i've spent my entire life in the the northeast and it is one of those shows that i watched and immediately was drawn to but i found myself saying is this going to play in middle america and one of the one of the revelations in top of the rock is that there was concern within nbc is it too jewish
2: absolutely the, it was not It was not. And there is a famous memo that Preston Beckman, head of scheduling and strategic planning, wrote. And I, I said to him, okay, we're putting this thing on, right? We believe in it. We love Seinfeld. Preston, they're going to ask us, how did it play in the urban markets where there were A lot of Jews. And he goes, okay, I'm going to Nielsen. We're going to do a special test run. We're going to get all these urban markets. I'll have it by 2 p.m. the next day. I go, great. And... The title of the memo was, It's Not About the Jews. (laughs) And and he went through market by market and said, Hey, the fact of the matter is, it didn't matter if you were in the middle of the Midwest or whether you were in New York City. It just didn't matter. Guess what? It's funny. People are watching. Eh, Maybe we should keep going.
1: In retrospect, given the success of Curb, Could Larry David have played himself as opposed to George? Um, Meaning Jason.
2: Well, that could be the difference, and I'm a huge Curb fan, and who doesn't want to see Curb come back after going to New York last year? That was a classic year for them. But network versus cable. You know, the few million people who watch Larry, um, watch him and love him. Um, Jason was pretty wonderful, and Jason... A skilled, trained actor to match up with Jerry, who had only ever done stand-up. So I'm thinking, uh, I'm thinking we did it pretty well.
1: This is Warren Littlefield. He's the former NBC president of entertainment. The brand new book is called Top of the Rock. I- I'm part of America that feels. I got the reunion I was looking for within Curb when the whole cast came back. I thought it was extraordinarily well done.
2: I loved it. I, you know, I laughed, I cried, and, and I thought that the chemistry, as it always was, day in and day out, between Jerry and Larry, the love, <laughs> the difficulty. When, when I picked up the phone and said to Jerry, I'm ordering 13. We had done a pilot. We had done four episodes. When I said, I want 13 more, Larry David goes, tell him no. I don't have any more ideas left.
1: <laughs>
2: and Jerry goes, I'm not going to tell him no. <laughs> and so Jerry goes, yes, of course. Um, and, it, and that was the nature of that relationship. Yes, it was wonderful. And as Jason said, could it, it could have been a movie. We could have brought NBC to their knees with that reunion. No. Larry says, I want to do a couple of episodes of Curb.
1: From the outside looking in, I could understand people not knowing the facts saying, well, of course it was a success and you know, wherein was all the risk. But internally, you describe having to pull some accounting juggles where Bob Hope's special doesn't air just so you've got the scratch to put Seinfeld on the air.
2: Well, that test report that you and I spoke about scared the just scared us to death. we liked the show, we wanted to do it. However, we had already picked up a full slate of programming, and by the way, Seinfeld wasn 't a part of it. So then, when I was on the verge of losing it, the options for the actors run out. The only thing I could do was have a late night session with someone in finance and go, We need to get creative And um, that 's when we said, okay we 're going to steal from bob hope 's budget. He'll do one less two-hour special. That'll turn into four Seinfelds. And when I said to Jerry, I've got great news. We're going to make four episodes of Seinfeld. There was absolute silence on the phone. And he said, in the history of television, has anyone ever succeeded with four episodes?
1: Well, they have now.
2: Yes, that's true. Warren. And he was the first.
1: Uh, I- I'm curious as to your personal best. Junior Mint. The contest, the puffy shirt, which, if my memory is accurate, was also George as the hand model. Uh, Where do they get ranked in the Littlefield household?
2: Well, they're all absolute classics. I think my personal favorite is the contest. Because when when the sales department said, wait a second, you made an episode that's about (laughs) masturbation, and we have to go out and sell it? Who's going to be in this show? Are we just going to run public service announcements in this episode? We're going to get killed. And I said, Are you kidding me? This is Seinfeld. And we not only did we put it on, and not only did advertisers embrace it, um, it was an absolute classic episode where television had never gone before and god bless larry and uh, jerry for doing it
1: i hate to be so seinfeld focused because the book is about so much more than that just one other observation you had to deal with so many temperamental uh, egos and and they're all recounted you name the names and you tell the stories the kelsey grammar stories are remarkable Jerry was a gentleman, and it seemed like you had this unique bond with Jerry. I I think you said there was a particular day of the year. You'd call him like clockwork, and you'd say, hey, we want to do it again. I appreciated the air, Jerry, and the way that you treated him. But in the end, there's a a critical meeting, a luncheon that takes place. The guy's offered an ungodly sum of money, and he still says, no, I've, I've had enough.
2: Jerry looked at me that year. And he said, you know, we've been through this before, um, and we've always worked it out. And I've kept doing the show, and, and, and it's been great for all of us. He said, but I need to tell you, um, I'm not married. I don't have a family. I don't have much of a life. If you want to get a hold of me, you always know where to find me. I go, yeah, you're here, Jerry. You're, you're at work. And he said, I don't know if I can keep doing it. We'll talk about it. I just need you to know that. And then I realized it wasn't a negotiation about how much could we put on the table. It was really about quality of life.
1: Five million an episode, right, Warren?
2: We put over a guest. We put $110 million on the table and said, we'd like you back for one more year. That's not for the show. That's just for Jerry. And um, (laughs) much to the chagrin of Jerry's managers, He didn't negotiate, Um, he went to the same park bench in Central Park that he sat with his dad and said, I want to be a stand-up comic. He went to that same bench, said to his managers, we're going to walk away from NBC.
1: My favorite vignette in the whole book, uh, George Shapiro relates that at 81st and Central Park West, there's the bench that you reference, and Jerry says, we went to the park bench where my dad and I had sat before I moved into my first apartment. I told him I was going to be a comedian, and he thought it was great. He said he wished he could have done it, and he could have. He was very talented, a very funny guy. Imagine sitting there trying to figure out if this was the time to leave the show. I congratulate you on the way you pull this together because I would describe it for my audience as an ongoing conversation among the critical participants who were responsible, you chief among them, for this decade of stellar programming.
2: Thank you, Michael. It was uh, it was an incredible ride for me, um, and I think I, you're such a passionate believer in science. Oh, I though, am. You can tell. And I bring that to life, but there's uh, Cheers, Fraser, Friends, uh, uh, ER, uh, Will and Grace. It just goes on and on. Well, uh, it was you, a remarkable era for would, us.
1: Hold that thought. I'm coming back in one moment with Warren Littlefield, the man who we owe a debt of gratitude for. Seinfeld, Frazier, Friends, ER, Will & Grace, Mad About You, Third Rock from the Sun, Law & Order, Cheers, and The Cosby Show, all on his watch.
0: This is the Book Club with Michael Smirconish podcast from SiriusXM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Welding instructor Alex DeClair knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Listen to Michael live. Weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124, and on the SXM app.
1: Hey, we're back. It's Michael Smirkanish, elated to have with me Warren Littlefield, the former NBC president of entertainment The man for whom we can thank the TV shows, Cosby shows, Cheers, Law & Order, Third Rock from the Sun, Mad About You, Will & Grace, ER Friends, Frasier, and the best thing ever put on TV, Seinfeld. Would you tell a a neophyte like myself why? This is the thing I kept wondering during the book. You assemble a kick-butt Thursday night. Uh, Night of bests, I think, is the way you referenced it.
2: In the 80s, it was the night of bests, and then we chose to brand it and must-see TV came right. out of the bowels of promotion.
1: Okay, so here's, here's my knucklehead question. Why don't you then say, hey, instead of jamming everything on Thursday, why don't we break it up and try and attract audience on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday?
2: Well, the key to NBC going from a strong number two to number one is when we take Frasier away from Seinfeld at the end of Frazier's first year, and we move it off of Thursday onto Tuesday. ABC was the number one network on Tuesday, and they had Roseanne at the center of the night. I, of course, passed on Roseanne. My bad. Um, but we go in with Frasier, and ABC gets so panicked that a month before the fall season starts, they take Roseanne Off of Tuesday night, they put Home Improvement up against it, and we match up against Home Improvement. Now, we did not become number one on Tuesday night, but we were a strong second, and we knocked ABC down. And it was that move when we took Mussy TV, Wings at 8 o'clock, Frazier at 9, And we go in and attack on Tuesday night, and that's the difference between NBC being the one-night network, which we'll always be remembered for, and actually uh, going to the top and staying there for the next six years.
1: Another of your credentials, Friends, and yet it didn't test well.
2: A high week. Um, We loved it. Friends, the the notion of looking at that phase of a young adult's life, a 20-something, leave mom and dad, go out into the world, try and pay for an apartment, try and first love, first job, first loss, all of those experiences, it was a target that we believed in. I developed a number of scripts against it. They were terrible. It wasn't until Marta Kaufman and David Crane came in and said, We want to tell you about our life story. We want to tell you about our experiences just a few years ago in New York when we were starting out. And it was hilarious. It was poignant. And I think that's the difference. Dramatically different from Seinfeld in that respect, where Friends was emotional. It was. Shakespeare with heart and emotion, Um, not quite the uh, uh, funny insanity of Seinfeld, Um, and yet it worked. It resonated, and not only did 20-somethings come to it, but 30, 40, and 50-somethings. We had multiple generations all said, you know what? I was one. I was young at some point in my life. They were all attracted to what was going on with that cast.
1: You mentioned uh, apartment as part of your response, and you put in my head the scene of you showing up at Madonna's place at mm-hmm. 11 o'clock at night. Kind of a strange uh, uh,
2: encounter. Ma- Madonna was cutting an album. Um, I-, I had... Uh, like the rest of the country, watched her make these delightful guest appearances on SNL. Um, Clearly, she had a very strong young adult brand. And I thought, hey, maybe there's a way to get in business with her. Maybe it's a series of specials. Maybe it's, you know, let's explore this. She's Madonna. Um, This is probably the only time in my career that my wife was actually jealous and said, (laughs) okay, let me get this straight. You have a meeting with Madonna in her, her apartment and it's at 11 p.m., who else is gonna be there? nobody no one just me and madonna <laughs> um she was uh, in the middle of cutting an album um she was absolutely exhausted had no clue as to why i was there who i was uh, and and it was she gave me a glass of water i looked at um her artwork which was magnificent on her walls um and um And I realized that this was going to be a very short meeting. And, uh, yeah, I got nowhere with Madonna. Uh, I called my wife at 1130 and said, yeah, the meeting's over. I'm back at my hotel.
1: (laughs) Warren, what do you like on TV today?
2: Um, Well, I love Curb Your Enthusiasm because we keep Larry's voice alive.
1: Hey, Palestinian chicken. (laughs) The best thing they've done in the last couple of years, right?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. a modern Family, yep. comedy, I think is brilliant and wonderful, and is for everyone. Um, and I think had if NBC had Modern Family on Thursday nights now, um, they would be much better off. Um, I, I like Game of Thrones. I think it's brilliant. Um, I'm uh, Mad Men. Mad Men, yes. Uh, sometimes I'm frustrated that there's not enough story, not enough incident but but once i once I disconnect from the crazy world that we all live in, then all of a sudden my body starts going into the ruins of madmen, and it's brilliant would uh, you
1: would you have put howard Stern on a g t
2: Absolutely. Howard's a superstar.
1: He is a superstar. Does he work in that role?
2: Oh, yeah. Um, Howard has lived his entire career off of saying things that he's honest. Um, And uh, Howard's a great voice. He's a great partner. I mean, you can't find... There's not a day on his radio show that he's not cross-promoting with the network. That's a great partner. Um, so I think that was an outstanding move for them.
1: I love your book. I think you can tell that by the intonation of my voice. I highly recommend it. It's a great read, dare I say, for Memorial Day weekend. It's called Top of the Rock, Inside the Rise and Fall of Must-See TV,
0: and Warren Littlefield is the author. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Listen to the Michael Smirconish program weekdays on SiriusXM's POTUS Channel 124 and anytime on the SXMF.
1: Connect with Michael on
2: See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
0: One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. (laughs) AutoTrader.